Welcome to Lessons in Life and Love with Rihanna Milne, where we show you how to have the positive mindset for success in all life areas so you can grow beyond difficult transitions and evolve from those challenging moments that may have influenced your past but will not define your future. It's time to have the life you desire and the love you deserve as we teach you the exact skills needed to attract and keep a lasting, emotionally healthy and conscious relationship. Now, please welcome your host, certified life dating and relationship coach, trauma professional, and best-selling author, Rihanna Milne. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. How are you all doing? I hope you had a fantastic weekend. I know I got to have some beach time, which is always a good thing. Uh, I hope the rest of you aren't too cold out there. And we are on show 27 of Lessons in Life and Love. And I am your coach, Rihanna Milne, with you for the next hour. I am known as a life and love transformation expert, and I'm on a mission to change the way the world loves. And I hope you, my listeners, my angels of love and love transformers, will help me spread the word on how to have conscious, loving, and respectful relationships. Tonight, we're going to go into part two, doing summaries from the articles found in the Science of Love magazine from Centennial Specials out of New York. And you can find this in your local newsstand. It was it came out around Valentine's Day, and there's a really a lot of great articles in here. So I thought I would get you some of the latest research and happenings going on in the studies of love, which I thought, you know, most of my clients are always interested in getting the latest details and research. I thought I would do summaries on some of these articles. So we're going to hit on tonight and seeing how much time allows health and marriage, marriage with children, working through issues and in-laws and handling the empty nest. Do take advantage of getting your personal questions answered during this live radio show version by calling me in the next hour. Just dial for free 866-451-1451. Just have your question or comments ready to give to my show engineer Abraham when you call. And if you really want to meet with me personally, then do apply for a free life and love transformation discovery session just by going to my website, rihannamilne.com. Fill out the pop-up form and tell me your story and what you need help with. Remember to listen to all my past podcast shows on either the website, lessonsinlifeandlove.com, to get an education that builds your knowledge in both life and love skills. You can also listen to the daily Lessons in Life and Love on Alexa and get the podcast version on Spotify, iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Google Music, and your other favorite apps. If you hear something you know will benefit a friend or a loved one, this is where you can be a love angel and share the show link and leave a comment and a five-star rating. That's all I ask for, for coming to you free every week to help you have the life you desire and the love that you deserve. Today's show is being brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening today. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna. 
We're going to cover first marriage makes you healthier. This is an article by Sherry Baker. In summary, it's basically saying being in a long, stable marriage can slash your risk of an early death. It says a growing body of research has shown that being in a supportive marriage or domestic partnership and sticking it out for the long haul can provide some life-changing and even life-saving health benefits. Married people often live longer and with fewer disabilities in old age compared to single people. Social security researchers found a consistent survival advantage for married men and women compared to unmarried singles. Married men especially got an extra boost of longevity. No one knows every reason that a stable marriage may benefit health. They don't see why, but there's plenty of research on it. But they say one thing is certain for two of the most serious health problems, which is cardiovascular disease and cancer, being married can actually be good medicine. Heart attacks and stroke caused by cardiovascular disease result in one of four deaths in Americans each year. There are several known risk factors for cardiovascular disease, including high blood pressure, elevated cholesterol levels, being sedentary and not exercising on a regular basis, and smoking. Not being married may be on that list, too. Dozens of studies involving about 2 million participants documented heart disease-related events and outcomes of both married and single people. The results, which is published in the journal Heart, found marriage lowered the odds of having heart attacks and strokes. The risk of heart attack was especially elevated in those who had never married, a whopping 42% higher, which is really quite dramatic doesn't mean that simply having married status will automatically protect your heart health. The research team suggested is that the behaviors within a good marriage that likely protect individuals from heart attack and stroke. For example, married people are more likely to remind each other to take any needed medication and alert each other to any potential health problems or issues that they're visualizing in their partners. Married partners usually also have better financial security and a stronger network of friends than unmarried people. When married people do have heart attacks, they are 14% more likely to survive than their single counterparts. They even get better faster and leave the hospital two days sooner. A heart attack can have both devastating physical and psychological effects, most of which are hidden from the outside world. The findings suggest the support offered by a spouse can have a beneficial effect on heart attack survivors, perhaps helping to minimize the impact of a heart attack. When heart surgery is necessary, there's more good news about the marriage and heart connection. Marriage gives adults a clear survival advantage. In fact, married adults are more than three times more likely than single people to survive the same surgery over the next three months. The strong protective effect of being married lasted for up to five years following the coronary artery bypass surgery, and it was equal for both men and women. However, unmarried patients with the same condition and surgery were twice as likely to die. Marriage boosted survival, whether the patient was a man or a woman. Findings underscore the important role that spouses as caretakers have during these health crises. And husbands were apparently just as good as caretaking as the wives. The supportive nature of other people, which seems to be most common among married folks, is the likely explanation for the better heart attack outcomes and should be considered by doctors when treating and counseling patients. Let's think about for a second. It is that whole nurturing effect on health and well-being. 
if there are hugs and kisses and somebody counting on you and being your cheerleader to pull through and that nurturing effect, that definitely is healing. Can friends do that for each other, for the single people? Is there enough love and consistency from the friendships to make sure you get through a crisis? Can family members be the same? Maybe some questions to also explore. Then they go into, can marriage conquer cancer? The National Cancer Institute, which is NCI, estimates that while genetics, lifestyle, and environmental factors all play possible roles in who develops a malignancy and who survives one, several studies show marriage may put cancer patients at an advantage. Ten leading causes of American cancer deaths are lung, colorectal, breast, pancreatic, prostate, liver, and bile duct, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, head and neck, ovarian, and esophageal cancers. They search for factors that might influence health outcomes. And this includes age, sex, race, education, and household income. Marriage, it turned out, dramatically stood out as a factor influencing survival. Men and women who were married when diagnosed with cancer lived longer than those who were single. One explanation in their studies is that married people are more likely to notice physical changes in each other that need medical attention, resulting in cancer being diagnosed at an earlier stage, which makes it easier to treat and treat more successfully. Our data suggests that marriage can have a significant health impact for patients with cancer. We suspect that social support from spouses is what's driving the striking improvement in survival. And they say spouses often visit, make sure that they understand the recommendations and complete all their treatments. A partner can increase the likelihood of compliance by increasing hope as well. Unmarried cancer patients were 17% more likely to have cancer that had spread than were more than 50% less likely to have received appropriate therapy for their malignancy. By being there for that person and helping them navigate their appointments and make it through all their treatments, you can make a real difference to that person's outcome. Could there be a biological reason that marriage boosts health? Well, researchers say the answer is yes. People in stable unions may have less psychological stress than their single counterparts. Researchers found lower levels of the stress hormone cortisol in married people compared to those who have never been married or were previously married. Physiological pathway may explain how relationships influence health and disease. Prolonged stress triggers elevated levels of cortisol, which can disrupt the body's ability to regulate inflammation, a process linked to the development and progression of cardiovascular disease and cancer. Cortisol levels are normally highest in the morning and fall during the day, and married people's cortisol plummet faster than that of their unmarried counterparts. It's a pattern linked to less heart disease and better survival in cancer patients, researchers noted, and another clue in explaining the healthy advantage of marriage. A stable union can alter your underlying biology, which is fascinating and really important studies. They say when it comes to snoring, it's important to be tested for sleep apnea because it's a potentially serious disorder marked by breathing that repeatedly stops and starts. 
It's a frequent cause of hypertension, raising the risk for cardiovascular problems and stroke. Snoring can also raise a non-snoring partner's blood pressure too. So treatment will be a boon to both. I certainly know that being with a snorer at one time in my life. Sleep is so healing and so important that you get eight hours of sleep that if your sleep is constantly disrupted, it's going to really cause a lot of problems health-wise and in your level of stress and your ability to handle stress. They say also when it comes to skin, to make sure you look at your partner from top to bottom monthly could be life-saving. Any changes in skin coloration could point to cancer. Pay special attention to areas that your mate can't easily see, like the top of their scalp or back of their neck or knees. Most skin cancers are usually highly curable, but melanoma is potentially deadly and dangerous. Since it can be difficult to examine some parts of your body on your own, it's best to ask a partner to help you. Let's talk about exercise, which is really, really important, especially even they're saying for brain disease to ward off Alzheimer's, you know, keeping active at least three hours a week in a gym, working out, cardiovascular, keeping the muscles going, walking, biking, using the treadmill, any of that. They say when one partner started to exercise, the spouse was 40 to 70% more likely to do the same and meets the American Heart Association's recommendation to get about 150 minutes of exercise a week. That is an hour, 60 minutes times three, that's 180. So kind of figure three times a week doing something for one hour. Now you can also line yourself up with a buddy or a good friend to make sure that you are keeping healthy, making sure you're each other taking vitamins, you're eating healthy, you're watching your weight, you're getting to the gym or exercising. Good friends can be a wonderful support system too. Of course, emotional support is really important with a partner. Living with a depressed spouse can be frustrating and damage relationships, but in addition to encouraging a depressed partner to get professional help, Piling on affection can help your partner recover as well. What's more, loving support for a depressed partner today can boost the mental health of your spouse in the future. Let's talk about social activities. This helps preserve brain power. Living in a committed long-term relationship is known to lower the risk for mind-robbing Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. In fact, the dementia risk for people who have always been single is 42% higher than that of those who are married according to the research of the Journal of Neurology, Neurosurgery, and Psychiatry. They report that eating healthier and smoking and drinking less are all associated with both marriage and lower dementia risk and could be a part of the explanation. The baby boomers that do listen to the show, it's really important that you do watch some documentaries that are several of them on Netflix about the latest finding in Alzheimer's. They're saying a lot of alcohol definitely does contribute to that. Lack of exercise, not challenging your mind, being in isolation of diet is incredibly important getting the cortisol levels down which is inflammation staying away from sugar again there's a lot of sugar and alcohol so do get educated to help fight the odds of you getting dementia and alzheimer's there's a lot of great information out there on netflix Let's go into our next topic, which would be romance and passion can survive in our longest relationships. This is called The Arc of Love by Pamela Weintrapp. It's about keeping love and passion alive. It says, is love best when it's fresh? 
Intensity of new love is impossible to replicate, leading those in long-term relationships to fantasize about something else. When people can grow and flourish in their long-term relationships, true romantic love can survive, enabling a deep connection far more profound than anything possible than when love is new. Love can become more nourishing as the years go by. Love also tastes better when fresh, the excitement, the desire, but it's a different story for the value of love. To get the best out of each other, we must know each other well, and that takes time. When love is new, that's when love is intense. We feel sexual desire, the wish to touch and be with each other. We're constantly thinking about each other. Frequency of sex decreases considerably over the first years. Sexual attraction is greatest when love is fresh, but this is always brief. So the real question is, how can love continue as it matures? How can love stay? This is difficult because emotions are generated by change. When we can feel a significant change in our situation, an intense, acute emotion is generated. But in older love, you must create change internally by continuing to grow. You have to develop. The intensity is less than with fresh love, but it is in the view for a much longer time. Older love does have some advantage. While time is not good for romantic intensity, it is essential for romantic, what they call profundity. And I'll spell that P-R-O-F-U-N-D-I-T-Y, profundity. What is that? It is a deep connection between the two partners. They know each other better. They accept each other more totally. And they bring out the best in each other. This is the number one secret for the success of long-term relationship. This is when the couple might say, when I'm with him or her, I am a better person. How do we get there? It starts early in the relationship with that intensity initially to make the connection so the two will want to be with each other. Otherwise, they're not going to invest the time and the energy. could be a one-night stand, which we know is not good. Love at first sight is very beneficial for the beginning of the relationship because there's such a great attraction, and that helps make the connection. After the connection is there, you must keep having the dialogue, good communication, and you need to do activities together, something that has a personal inner value and can be shared. These activities should involve just the couple. You have to bring fulfillment to your spouse and yourself or you will not stay. Now, by the time I see a couple in my office for counseling or coaching, they often are going out with groups of people instead of each other. They stop their dating completely. They put the kids first and rarely have time for each other. They're too burnt out between work and kids and housework. It's a more traditional relationship where the man goes off to work, the woman works, and then he comes home and doesn't help out around the house. The woman is left to doing all the housework, and then she's burnt out, and then he's upset. She's not romantically interested. These are some of the things that are really starting to erode love. Um, The baby boomers (laughs) that are going out there dating now, it's interesting to hear men say, well, do you cook? It's not the day of Ozzy and Harriet anymore. You know, the best couples today, I'm seeing great millennial couples being complete teams, both cooking, both cleaning, both helping take the kids, both working to lead to their greater good as a couple. And they definitely are not as obsessed with the materialistic goods that their parents 
have come to know as statuses of success. A lot of the millennials want smaller homes and want a more interesting lifestyle. So they'll take more vacations or go hiking or go to waterfalls or to Africa and see safaris. They want adventure. They want fun versus the big house and a heavy mortgage. It's interesting to see what our millennials are doing and if their married relationships will last longer with time. Here they say fluidity, gender ID, shifting roles don't alter the need for love. In the United States, diversity and flexibility are coins of the reality now, especially for millennials and the generation that follow. People applaud great diversity in food and their activities, the demographic and culture to tell the rest of the tale. Ethnic minorities will compromise more than half the population in the U.S. by the 2040s, promising far more interracial marriages than ever before. Our gender roles are certainly in flux as well. Mom can be the breadwinner, dad can stay at home, household chores are shared by all. Same-sex marriages is now accepted, and many young people claim a fluid sense of gender regardless of their sex at birth. Anyone these days can have a transgender child. Despite this revolution, the lust for passion and the need for stability remain competing parts of our deep human nature and the cave man and woman brain, especially cave woman brain. No matter what the gender configuration of the people in the relationship, this researcher says, the individuals involved still must help each other to flourish and grow. And that researcher's name is spelled B-E-N-Z-E apostrophe E-V as in Victor. And so they're really starting to push that individuality within the relationship is super important. Couples that are codependent that stifle each other and they're only with each other. The people don't have the individual time to grow and do their hobbies or take up an instrument, go back to school, grow a new business, that they are suffering in their personal goals and strategies for a happy life. Each early intensity in a relationship does help to make an enduring romantic connection that fuels the lasting growth, but more is needed. If it remained like it was at the beginning, you would not be able to do other things because you would be thinking about the beloved all the time. You would not be able to personally flourish. When there is profundity, the attraction is there, but it doesn't have to be mainly sexual, but an attraction to be with each other, which is central, is the wish to do things together. So in other words, that whole concept where you're best buddies, you love to hang out, you're best friends. That part is extremely important as well as being passionate and romantic for each other. Today, with so many options for romance, love is in the air. The problem is, is to have profundity. You do need a lot of time, but we spend less time with each other than ever before. Recent stats show that couples spend less time together than they did 20 years ago. And in the time that they are together, there is less relating. Couples who do stay together, the quality of time spent is very high. Think about all the people on their machines when they get home from work and they might be sitting in the same room as their partner, but they're not relating. They're not holding hands. They're not talking about their day or laughing to a movie together. You've got to turn your machines off. Facebook is not as important as your partner. It's really sad. People you just see constantly on their machines and not talking to each other. In the 1960s in the United States, in addition to practical matters, in addition to love, marriage began to require self-fulfillment. 
When love is deep and profound, we can create a home, build a family, and discover new passions and skills. What else do we need for high-quality union? Equality, autonomy, to be reciprocal for each other. So in other words, give and take are equal. Autonomy means you have your own goals and you're living them and your partner supports that. They're like your best cheerleader. And equality, especially around things that nobody likes to do, which is cleaning usually or the chores for the household, dishes, laundry, really being a team. Variety, when one is not enough. There's some other research here. Those who crave both variety and stability commonly engage in candlestine affairs. In fact, seven in 10 married people claim they've been unfaithful at least once. So those are the ones that are telling the truth about it. How about those that aren't? The same researcher says another form of long-term relationship can be seen about 5% of those in the U.S. and around the West, which is polyamory. This means loving a few people at the same time. Rather than being characterized as mere casual sex, it involves stable, intimate relationships within a circle of lovers. Rather than being cloaked in deception, it's entirely out in the open. One version of polyamory in which a group of three or more lovers consider themselves to be married to each other and allow romantic relationships within this close group. And another version, one person carries on an intimate relationship with more than one partner in different locales. There is a consent amongst the participants, however, so it's out in the open. Um, They used to call that years ago an open marriage. Like the rest of us, he notes, polyamorous have only so much energy to go around. What makes human beings unusual among mammals is not only our penchant for polygamy, but the fact that most people practice at least some form of monogamy. Every relationship takes effort and no one can have an infinite number of loves no matter what. Do we need love at all? If there is a great personal flourishing, you may give up your requirement of love. To go on on that note, they say the good enough partner may not be high on all three scales, the pragmatic love and flourishing, but is of sufficient quality on each to enable a good marriage. Love loses intensity with time, but personal flourishing in the marriage lowers the need to put so much weight on love alone. Now, if you don't have to be madly in love in order to stay married, if you are fulfilled, and if the practical matters are working, why leave it? It's much easier and less costly to be out of a marriage, however, than it used to be. If people want to stay in a marriage, but also increase their sense of passion, what do you do? Romantic love is complex. But open love in which partners agree to let others in so they can have that intensity is even more complex for sure. About 20% of people have open marriages where they openly have sexual relationships with others. And about 5% live in the polynomial group marriage of three or more. These relationships are not impossible, but they're still very hard. The women now may have greater sexual fulfillment with two partners, a husband and a lover. On the other hand, she has to devote much more time to the relationships for all of them to work out. The intensity is greater, but the length of these relationships is often briefer with the second partner, the lover, but also with the husband as well. About 70% of those in long-term relationships have cheated at least once. 
They have affairs, but they don't tell their partner. That tended to always be the norm in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. How can all this work without jealousy and depression destroying our lives? One approach is giving your relationship different priority in a hierarchy. Be careful not to give up on the advantage of your long-term relationship, of knowing each other, being close to each other. It's hard to achieve, but easier if you accept that with love and life are not the same. When they go head to head, life always wins. It's easier to find someone else than a life where you can flourish. You need self-fulfillment, a decent marriage with enough love and the chance to personally flourish at some level. They definitely say the deepest kind of love and the most lasting love needs time. Profundity. Life is best when you learn to flourish in love. In this age of the internet, it's harder to settle down and easier to stray. Dating apps give us endless apparent choices for the next new thing. And despite a long-term marriage, old flames and crushes flicker into view from the distant past, offering the kind of high-octane intensity we last experienced when we were 16. Computers have changed, not just the way we work, but the way we love. Falling in and out of love, flirting, cheating, and even having sex online have all become part of a modern way of living in his book quoted on love online. There's more here, but let's go to a quick break. And if you have any questions, I'm going to ask you to call in now, 866-451-1451. Ask your questions, have your comments. I love to hear from you guys. Give me a buzz back and we will go right to a message and be right back. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audio book with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs. Download a free title and start listening today. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna and get started. Why Audible? Well, Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. To download your free audiobook today, just go to audibletrial.com forward slash Rihanna and enjoy your free audiobook. We're back. This is your global life and love coach, Rihanna Milne, and you're listening to BBM Global Network Live. Okay, continuing this research from Ben Zieb about profundity. He says, our quest for deep, profound kinds of relationship finds itself in crisis and two reasons stand out. Passionate love, which has always been a mighty pull, which we call chemistry. It's by nature superficial and brief. And in the age of the internet, the potential for these relationships have become great. The ideal and committed frameworks is that passionate love is essential for marriage and that two spouses create a fused identity. That fused is what we call codependency. And if it's fused too much, this is where the problems come in. He said this has upgraded the value of marriage, but also made marriage more volatile and less certain since passionate love and marriage do not necessarily go together. This is why I always say it's very dangerous to fall in love just because there's high passion and chemistry. This is why they're saying love over time is more successful. When marriage depends exclusively on passionate love, which can change and decrease as time passes, the thought of leaving a marriage begins to enter each partner's mind. There are many 
many roads available for a romantic journey. People are tempted to pursue superficial romantic experiences rather than investing effort in deepening their current love. He warns, more is not always better. Take care when you step online that you don't jeopardize the potential for enduring connection and true flourishing that could be available when you take your time and have love at home. These, I thought was very interesting that, again, looking at the qualities in love versus just the chemistry, it's very, very important when you're considering lasting love. Let's go to an article by Anna Lane. It's called Married with Children. She states having kids can make marriage more challenging, but also increase the stakes for success. And I have two children with little kids. My girls are 35 and 36, and I have three grandsons, five, three, and one. I remember trying to raise two girls who were a year apart. It was almost like having twins, plus working to try to support the household. Plus many of those years, I became a single mom which meant having more challenges with dating, lining up sitters, and still giving my girls the quality time I wanted them to have to explore the world, to grow up loving and appreciating, respecting different cultures. So we traveled to Greece. They are half Greek. I wanted them to know their heritage. Going to Paris and being amongst people of different languages, they become much more well-traveled than me. They surpassed me, but I'm catching up now again, now that they're on their own. But it's really fascinating to make them worldly and experience other cultures. It just makes them so much more successful in their adult life. They are now balancing the children and work and the ability to have quality time with their partners, my wonderful son-in-laws. Okay, so most couples expect that having a baby will change your day-to-day lives, of course, but they're often caught off guard by how much parenthood affects the relationships as well. They soon find themselves snapping at each other, harboring resentments, and feeling less than loving towards their partner. Um, there, this article, Janice Dunn, uh, her book was How Not to Hate Your Husband After Kids, and she states some of these observations. She states, tension in a marriage can shake children. How do you come to this conclusion? Now, this is interesting because this is about childhood trauma, which I specialize in. She says, I noticed that our daughter's personality was changing and she was becoming more watchful. I assumed that if we weren't mad only at each other and not at her, she wouldn't be affected. We were sweet with her all the time, but curt with each other. And she started to sense the dynamic and get a little subdued. That was a wake-up call. Yes, I can definitely tell you listeners that for sure, even if the child witnesses domestic yelling, screaming, fighting, or stonewalling, they will be affected. They will have a sense of anxiety. Little children are brilliant. Their innate sense of love and connection, when it's destroyed, they feel it. When I was working with kids of trauma in the school, from grades K through college. I had kindergartners and first graders coming in. You know, Miss Rihanna, I think my parents are getting divorced. They couldn't even say the word and they were so adorable, but they knew something was wrong. Please, if they're struggling in your marriage, get help immediately. She says, then you arrive at a number of strategies to help you work on your marriage by raising a child. She says, state clearly what you want. Be very specific and ask for what you need. My failing was hoping that my husband would instinctively help me out. No, it didn't occur to me to ask him, hey, please get off the couch. I need your help doing this, this, and this. Again, husbands, the more you are helping out and wives as a team, you will have a much happier marriage. 
negotiate your weekends for a little personal time and taking a break. If you don't ask, you might not get. Block out the time for yourselves in advance. Meet up with a friend or go to a fitness class, but put it on the calendar. You'll each watch your child during the other spouse's allotted free time. Both people should get a chance to do something for themselves each weekend, whether it's a workout, leisure, taking a walk. But even 30 minutes alone results in a parent who's a lot less burnt out and reactive. No children's birthday parties or a play date are parenting, not time off. I want to add there, make sure you put in two dates a week for each other. If the grandparents can help out, great. If you can trade off with another family to watch your kids for a couple hours and then you watch theirs a couple hours a week, that's really helpful. Or get in a regular babysitter. It's well worth the investment to have your time together. What do you resolve disagreements when having different approaches to handling the kids? She says fight fair. You want to have full respect living. Your interactions with your husband or wife should never drop below respect. You can stand up for yourself and be assertive without being disrespectful to your partner. It's very beneficial for kids to see their parents working to resolve disagreements in a respectful way. An affectionate home makes children feel safe, secure, happy, and loved. Remember to kiss your kids and each other every day and kiss in front of the children, hold hands, smile and laugh with each other. The kids will love it. How should we approach sharing household responsibilities? It says once you have a child, you're in a brand new relationship with a whole new set of rules. Problems arise when things aren't clear. Definitely divvy up the chores according to preference and helping each other out. And you can even take turns helping each other sleep in. You each get to sleep a weekend morning. Give your partner some time to just relax and sleep in, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. Be generous and do take advantage of the time that you've been given. Give each other time freely. You'll have a happier partner. If you have to let the other person do things their way, let go of control and try and work as a team. Things do not have to be perfect. They ask, it's been more than two years since you began your research into shared parenting and marriage. What benefits have you noticed for your daughter in the long term? She says, our daughter has now become the most happy-go-lucky kid because we have created a safe and loving environment in our house and are affectionate to her and to each other. My husband and I are also her world and her foundation. So whenever we are affectionate with each other, she gets a little happy, too. When she sees us kiss each other, it actually makes her feel more secure. Also, the more you put these positives and proactive strategies into practice, the easier and easier they start to become. Yes, you do want to grow up telling your children, I love you, saying that to each other, hearing the words, getting lots of hugs and kisses. You want your child to be affectionate to their partner as they grow older, not cold and closed off. The last question, describe the most important life lesson for protecting and nurturing a marriage while raising children. She's there. Think of your marriage as a third entity in this. There are your needs, there are your partner's needs, and then your marriage needs. You must consider all three of these important. Now, that's exactly what I coach my clients. I tell them to think of an equilateral triangle with each side. One is you, me, and the third side is us. 
It's the exact same thing. You have to give yourself quality time to grow as an individual. You have to let your partner do the same. And you have to give equal amount of time, quality time to each other, to the relationship to make it last. Do not put your kids first. Put each other first. Really important because when you two are happy, the children will be happy. As they become teenagers, they may have something on a Friday night, but you say Saturday night belongs to us. You're not living to run around and put your kids first. Yes, make sure they have their activities, but also know that you have an activity that's equally important and put your activity on the calendar. Here's some other tips that they have about parenting styles from a study from the University of Arizona. They say keep differences friendly, cordial, and constructive, and then kids will benefit in the end. Don't avoid conflict. Not all conflict is bad. It's about how you manage it. You must learn how to handle it, and lessons in good conflict management can benefit children for life. If you have an issue, let your children see how issues are handled. When I was working with my kids of trauma, I was also ran the anti-bullying program in Vineland, New Jersey schools. And we did a program called Stand Up for Friendship. And I was teaching them to negotiate through an issue. And I had them learn to say the word. And they learned to listen to one point of view and then say their point of view. Then they worked at a team to come up with four solutions to a piece. This is a great skill to teach your children. Model it for them. Let them see how that works in action. Second, eliminate hostility. Children intuitively pick up on the way parents interact with each other, and a hostile atmosphere can threaten their sense of safety and stability in the home. And as you all know, if you're listeners, that leads to childhood trauma. Even three-year-olds can start to worry that the family will dissolve during a harsh discussion or a fight. They may not be able to express their insecurities verbally, but they can feel it. And this is where an anxiety starts growing in the young child. Third, be constructive. Watch your language and try to solve the problem amicably. Watch also the tone of voice, the pace, the pitch, the volume. You know, I teach all that, right? Okay. Even in a disagreement, be supportive of your partner through positive statements, especially in front of the kids. If your child gets involved in a dispute with you or your partner, avoid using a harsh tone and do not direct your feeling of anger or dissatisfaction at the child. Instead, you kind of say, we thank you for your opinion and we will consider it because you want your child to feel like they are valid and heard and respected then it's best to continue the discussion, not around your children after that. Continuing on with issues, the next article is called The Good Fight by Lauren Wellbank. Perfecting the art of the argument can strengthen your relationship. And this is, again, very similar to what I've been coaching for years. She has a summary here, the rules of engagement. One, communicate your feelings without injecting negative emotions. I want to also say their blame. Two, explain what you're feeling and why. Oh, here she says, without placing blame. Okay. Three, maintain eye contact during a fight. Don't walk out of the room. Don't turn your back. Be civil. This is your partner. Argue with love. Set a timer so that your disagreement has an ending, even if it's unresolved. They suggest about five minutes because you don't want to go on and on. You don't want to go into issues of your past. Keep it timely. Keep it about this current issue. She says, walk away before things get ugly. Now, just instead of walking away, which I think can look and be disrespectful, 
my clients do what we call a tea break or a therapeutic break. You can use the sign of a tea with your two hands or use a pet word like, hey, hun, hey, babe, I think we need a break. And then it's good to get some physical distance for anywhere from a half hour to an hour. So you could say, I'm going to the gym, getting groceries, I'm going to walk the dog, get a break so you can go off and breathe and really think what's going on. And as I say to my couples, ask in your mind, what is my partner really trying to say to me? Why are we having this misunderstanding? And what two solutions can I go back with? When you're each doing that and you come back to talk again, now you have four solutions on the table that will probably help solve the issue. And then her last step is avoid cruelty. You'll not be able to take back any mean words that you say. So never say anything that can cause harm. I totally agree with that. This is what we call verbal abuse. And too much verbal abuse over time will just not make a happy marriage. A woman will feel unsafe. A man will feel unsafe. And it's usually ends in divorce. Going deeper into the article, she says, every couple will have at least one fight over the course of their marriage. I like to call them issues instead of fights. The most successful marriages are not those where the couple never argue, but instead where partners know how to argue well. Most important component of maintaining a strong marriage is communication. Being able to successfully convey what you are feeling and why to your partner will help you overcome many typical marriage disagreements. Keeping your communications face-to-face while navigating a disagreement with your spouse. Maintain eye contact while talking and avoid hashing out any grievances over the telephone or through texting or email. If it starts on the phone, say, hon, let's just talk when you get home. And do not engage in a fight during text because intent and inflection of your words can get lost in these ways, leaving too much open to be interpreted wrong and hostile way. Communicating face-to-face also allows you to observe the things that your partner is not saying by reading his or her nonverbal cues. This allows you to adjust your approach to the topic. If you feel like you're not getting anywhere, remember to set that timer for the conversation. Agree to speak, each of you, for a certain amount of time, such as five minutes, and at the end of the five minutes for each of you, move on to another activity or give yourselves that break. This gives both of you time to think, reflect, and gain perspective. If you find yourself stuck on a point, ask the why questions. And she says questions like, why do you or don't you want to have kids? That is a big issue. That's something you should have discussed before you're married, right? Okay, instead of phrasing the question in a way that does not prompt them for an explanation such as, do you want to have kids? They say, of course, go for a win-win. If a battle becomes particularly heated or hurtful in a new way, take a time out. Uh, Back off any discussion with your partner for several hours so that emotions can calm and the air can clear. Do not keep calling or harassing your partner. Do not keep texting them. When you see that, that is huge codependency or immaturity or love addiction. It's a real sign of deeper childhood wounds. Let any anger fade before trying again. The best outcome in any disagreement is one where both of you feel good about the results. Focus on win-win situations, not on being right. Knowing how to disagree with your partner and talk through your differences. If you have two different points of view, you're two people. You don't have to always think alike. Let your partner vote for who they want to. You know, I mean, it's ridiculous. Now we're talking about too much control. Try to control your partner. They're not going to appreciate it. They don't want to be treated like a child either. You see a lot of control in a relationship. 
remember this could be signs of you know, deeper childhood wounds that you definitely want to take care of. If you're a single and you've been accused in your past relationships of being controlling, demanding, enforcing your way, wanting your way, needing things to be perfect at home, definitely these are signs of childhood trauma. If you have not heard the show on childhood trauma, go back to the archives at Lessons in Life and Love and listen to show one, two, and three, where I go deep into the childhood trauma aspect so that you understand what does happen in your child is directly correlated to your success in your love relationships. It's really important that you learn what to do. We also have about in-laws and we also have surviving the empty nest syndrome and sexual perfection in a union, keeping sex great. And those are gonna have to go into next week because time flies. We're going deep into these articles, but again, I think they're very worthy. If I were you, I would pick up the magazine. It is called The Science of Love by Centennial Specials. And they are on display at various newsstands until May 6th. So you can still go out and get it. I got mine at my grocery stores. I'm sure they're in pharmacies, bookstores, and it's a great book of articles. I think you get a lot of value out of. For our simple principles for a happy and healthy marriage, let's go to principle 159. Be mindful of how you and your spouse interact. As a healthy couple, always be conscious about how you interact in front of your children. Your children are like sponges soaking up every word and action. If there is tension or anger between you and your spouse, they will feel it. Never criticize or name call. It will give the impression that it is appropriate to speak to others in this way. Your children do not have to believe you and your spouse never fight, just that you can do so with respect and being civil, and that arguments never threaten the love in your house after fight make sure to talk to your kids about how you resolve the issue and remind them that you love each other and them very much and continuing on to principle 160 know that the best gift you can give your family is a healthy marriage you and your spouse need not worry about being perfect parents you are human you're going to make mistakes everyone has flaws it is normal to disagree argue and make mistakes You will not be able to be at every soccer game or Boy Scout meeting. You're not always going to know what to say when someone cries. You can, however, commit to keeping your family connected with honesty, respect, and kind and loving communication by practicing the principles in this book. Finally, the best thing you can offer your family is a healthy marriage. Naomi Rode, who is a motivational speaker, says, we can't all leave a prestigious background or lots of money to our children, but we can leave them a legacy of love. And again, this is from The Simple Principles for a Happy and Healthy Marriage by Alex Lunch. If you look at my show notes, all the books that I read from, Uh, The links are there so that you can order them and dig deeper. Okay, guys, next week we are going to go into Great Sex Through Time, Marrying Again, Making Love Last, 
getting through the empty nest and handling in-laws. If I can get through them all, that's the goal for next week. So be sure to join me. And that is the time that we have for today. I really thank you for tuning in tonight. Please tell your friends who you love and care about to join us next week from 6 to 7 p.m. on boldbravemedia.com. And I appreciate you sharing love and helping me change the way the world loves. Please take a moment to leave me a five-star rating on the platform of your choice and post a comment on what you liked and want to learn on any upcoming show and episodes of Lessons in Life and Love with me, Coach Rihanna Milne. You can leave that at my website, LessonsInLifeAndLove.com or on any platform, especially iTunes. This is where I normally go to get my comments and reviews. And there's a new show every week. You can send me your questions at lessons in life and love show at gmail.com and reach out for applying to that free life and love discovery session during the week at rihannamilne.com. Okay, Transformers, be sure to join me next week, 6 p.m. on Bold Brave Media Global Network. And as always, I am here to help you have the life you desire and the love that you deserve. God bless and have a fabulous week. We want to thank you for joining us on this episode of Lessons in Life and Love with Coach Rihanna Milne. Your personal journey of life and love transformation has only just begun. Go to RihannaMilne.com for more resources. And if you're really ready to take action to improve your life or love situation, apply now for a free life and love transformation discovery session with Rihanna, a $500 value. Just contact Rihanna with your questions and to tell her your story at RihannaMilne.com. And remember, it's time to have the life you desire and the love you deserve.